I was down at a downtown campus last week, and Dove was playing, and I didn't realize he's the head of a, he's a professor at SCAD, the head of a department down there, and a really, really, really uh, high-impact servant at our downtown campus, and I just thank God for that. Thank God for you. Uh, thank God for when my voice is actually working right. Doesn't happen to, happen to be doing it today. Just imagine that if Joe Cocker got saved and called on the ministry, this is what his sermon would sound like, all right? Now, this has been a really good week for me. Uh, I've had an opportunity to connect with all seven of our campuses this week. Loved it. Uh, man, we've had hundreds of students connect, uh, you know, with our student ministry kickoffs on some of our campuses. I've uh, got other campuses rolling stuff out right now, and so every campus is doing something for our students. We're excited about that. Uh, on the other hand, it's been a really troubling week as well. Uh, we watched 19 people get injured and one woman murdered by a hate-filled man crashing a car into a crowd in Charlottesville, Virginia last Saturday afternoon, apparently driven by racial hate. Uh, two men in Kissimmee, Florida, police officers were murdered uh, this week. Uh, one of them went to uh, my buddy's church down in Claremont, Florida. Uh, you know, murders here in Garden City, uh, in our own city. Uh, a lot of harm been done in our country in the last week or so. You know, racial hate is an evil thing. It's just sin. It's just wrong. Uh, John, the best friend of Jesus, said in 1 John 4, 20, if a man says he loves God but doesn't love his neighbor, he's lying to himself. Lying to himself. And friends, this kind of verbal and physical violence has just got to break the heart of God. You know, somebody said when we demean any other human being, we demean the very God in whose image they are made. And man, I hope you will pray with me that our church and every compassionate Christian will just be an example of the love of Christ for all people, welcoming all people, leading all people to Jesus, teaching all people to think and act and love like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now listen, we got to believe that churches like ours are part of the solution. I mean, churches where red and yellow, black, white, and brown all worship Jesus every week, love Jesus, love each other. Churches like that can actually help what's happening in our country right now. We can make a difference when we follow the leading of our great God and pursue his will together. And friends, we will make a difference in our homes and our community and our nation and our world. These dark days are actually great opportunities for churches like us. Because the light always shines the brightest in the darkness. Man, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Amen? Amen. Now, the temptation is to let horrible circumstances and Kissimmee and Garden City and Charlottesville and Barcelona uh, just leave us feeling hopeless. And friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are never hopeless. And if you feel hopeless, feeling that way is something correctable. And it's a, it should be a warning beacon in your heart that something's wrong. So let me talk with you today about an antidote to those hopeless feelings that we often experience when we get hit upside the head by life as God never intended it to be lived. I read a book a couple years ago by a guy named Simon Sinek entitled Why, Eaters, Why Leaders Eat Last. It's a great book on leadership. Uh, in the book, Mr. Sinek tries to explain why we feel the way we feel when we are overwhelmed by stress. And also why we feel such great joy, you know, when we pass the test. Now, because uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't talk about the Lord at all in this book, he actually had to invent a mythology based on evolution to explain what Jesus said was the clear blessing of God. And in his book, Mr. Sinek talks about five chemicals that our body, you know, pumps 
to reward us for making great godly decisions. The first chemical is just a, kind of a feel-good chemical. There are two feel-good chemicals. The first are endorphins. You know, this is the chemical that your body starts pumping when your mind and your heart say, I will not quit. Man, endorphins mask the pain of perseverance. Uh, I've preached many times here on the value of perseverance. Cynic says the whole history of success in our world is a story of endurance, man. When you just have to put your head down and get it done, your body gets, gives you this hit of endorphins, you know, so you feel good enough to go on. Uh, this is where the runner's high comes from. I personally have never run that far. I've never experienced that, but they say that happens. But I tell you what I did. When my wife had cancer, I tried to make her laugh every day when she was being treated for cancer. Because laughing makes you feel good because it it releases endorphins and masks the pain. The Bible talked about this 4,000 years ago in the book of Proverbs where it says a merry heart does good like medicine. Then Mr. Sinek wrote about dopamine, which is another chemical our body just naturally produces. Man, when you find yourself looking for, you know, a set of car keys that you lost and you finally found them, ah, you get a little hit of dopamine, right? When you accomplish something you wanted to accomplish, that wind triggers this good feeling that's caused by dopamine. We get it when we eat. That's why we love to eat. Can I get an amen? amen? You see an apple, you get a little, a little hit of dopamine, you want to eat an apple. Unfortunately, also works with fried chicken and key lime pie, right? Now, this is why writing down goals is so powerful. When you write that goal down and you scratch one off, bam, you get a little hit of dopamine. Now, there's a warning here. Dopamine is highly addictive. It leads to overeating and drug abuse and alcoholism and addiction to cell phone screens and making sales. Man, if you like something and you just get a, uh, like that, get that hit, man, you can get addicted to the dopamine effect and start making compromises in your integrity to get that good feeling. Now, of course, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, you don't compromise your integrity for the sake of any kind of feeling. But I'll tell you what, if you get up in the morning, the first thing you want to do is get a drink because you're addicted. First thing you want to do is grab that phone and look at what happened last night. You better think about that. Listen, back in 2008, why do you think the banks kept writing all those worthless mortgages that led to the crash of our economy? Because every one of those mortgages came with a commission. And somebody got a hit of dopamine every time they made some money. Money was the trigger. These are feel-good chemicals. But there are also some do-good chemicals, which Senate calls the leadership chemicals. He talks about serotonin. Man, when you celebrate a noble accomplishment, there's a release in your system of serotonin. Listen, when you graduate from high school or college, you feel good about that because you get that shot of serotonin. But listen, your parents do too. And it creates a bond. This is why people who receive awards often will thank God and their parents and their coaches because it's a team win and everybody feels good about it. Now, the problem is that you can trick serotonin. If you want something really bad, like a pair of Gucci shoes or a BMW, getting it can trigger that hit, which gives you a synthetic sense of accomplishment or status. And listen, there's nothing wrong with getting a nice pair of shoes or getting a nice car as long as you don't believe it means anything. It's just a thing, right? Right? Now listen, you want to enjoy serotonin when there's a relational connection that triggers it. I mean, a man who just loves that motorcycle or loves that boat and just will do anything, ignore anything, neglect anything to get on that. That's a sad man. And then he talks about this last leadership chemical, oxytocin. 
I've been trying so hard to say this right because I didn't want to say Oxycontin. You know what I mean? That would just be the whole wrong direction right there. But oxytocin, man, that's that warm, fuzzy chemical that makes you feel like you are liked and loved and needed and known. Man, this is the feeling that you get when you feel like you've got people who got your back. Scientists think this feeling comes from oxytocin, which is triggered by actually having people in your life who have your back. Hugging releases oxytocin. Man, when you hug somebody, that physical contact releases that, that chemical. When a woman gives birth or nurses her child, she gets a huge shot of oxytocin. This is triggered by human contact. A text won't do it. An email won't do it. Money won't do it. It's interesting that if you sign a big contract and you get everything you want and the other guy refuses to shake your hand at the end, you walk away from that deal feeling like something's wrong because that refusal to connect erodes trust. Now, friends, oxytocin, this great leadership chemical, is triggered by human generosity. Given time and energy and expecting nothing in return gives you a feeling of nobility that just sending a check won't touch. For example, when somebody emails you and you pick the phone up and you call them back, the fact that you took the time and made the effort and entered into a conversation communicates that you value them in a way that an email never will. In fact, the fact that you took the time to communicate communicates something to them beyond just what you're saying. And here's what's crazy. When you stop and help somebody, when you just stop and help, generosity triggers this shot of oxytocin in your system. And the person you help, when they get help, that triggers a shot of oxytocin because somebody cared about them. And somebody who rides by in the car and sees you helping somebody, they get a shot of oxytocin because they're inspired by your example. Actually, actually witnessing acts of human generosity triggers this sense that things are good in the world, which is why the more good you do, the more good you want to do. Man, oxytocin boosts your immune system. It increases your health. It energizes creativity. It makes you actually live a longer and happier life. But only if you do these things over and over and over and over, time after time after time after time. Now, friends, we all know this is true. And Seneca is trying to explain it by science. But why in the world is the human body the only animal on this planet that experiences these amazing effects? I mean, if evolution would do it, why doesn't every animal, every being on the planet experience this? Why are humans the only people on this planet who would choose to do good, expecting nothing in return, and then do it with a team, and then do it long term, over and over and over and over again? Why only we're the only creature on this planet that understands the enduring value of endurance? You know and I know the answer to that. It's because we were created in the image of God. And God is this way. And there's something in us because we were created in his image that draws us to live and love and serve in ways that look an awful lot like our creator. And I want to show you an example of this in the New Testament. Open your Bible with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, Grab that out of the... I will tell you what the page number is, but I'm tired of babying y'all. Find it on your own, all right? John chapter 13, I want to show you, I want to explain why the Lord created these chemicals and what triggers them. And friends, this story shows us how we can make a difference and how we will actually feel better if we make a difference together. So turn with me to John chapter 13. Let's start unpacking this famous story in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now let me get the timeline right here so you, you get it. You're in context. 
All of this takes place on the Thursday night, right before Good Friday, when Jesus is arrested and tried and crucified, and he knew it. He knew it. Big ordeal coming in about three hours later tonight. Now, when's the last time you faced a really big ordeal? Got to have surgery, got to have some procedure, going to the hospital tomorrow morning. You remember what the night before was like? I mean, after midnight, you can't eat or drink anything. That's like hell. But anyway, you know, right before that, it's all like, oh, baby, come here. What's your favorite meal? Let's fix you something. You sit right here, Daddy. We're going to make this all about you. Jesus is right before the biggest ordeal of his life, and it ain't all about him. Look at the next line. (coughs) Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Excuse me. Okay, one of y'all gave me this, and I want to thank you for that. Come up here after, let me give you a big old hug, all right? I'm going to release some serotonin for you here. (coughs) Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Excuse me. (coughs) The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, this is his identity statement. Think about how Jesus thinks about himself here. (coughs) He knew that the Father had already put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and he's getting ready to return to God. He's at the top. So what does he do? He got up from his meal, took off his outer garment, wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Skip down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, and he asked them a question. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher. You say I'm your Lord. Rightly so. That's exactly who I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed Blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be, everybody, blessed blessed if you do them. Now, friends, look at that last verse. How many of y'all want to be blessed? Let me see the hand of everybody here who wants to be blessed today. Okay? The rest of y'all need counseling. All right? Uh, Listen, if you want to be blessed, if you want to feel good because you did good, you need to love Jesus and serve others like Jesus did. Now, let me tell you what will happen if you do. This blessing will begin to flow when you decide to serve, when you make a decision. Man, when Jesus got up to wash the disciples' feet, this was the last thing anybody in the world would have expected him to do. Foot washing was a custom in the Middle East because, you know, people were sitting at tables only three or four inches tall and there was no paved roads and everybody's feet were dirty. And they had that, you know, when you would lay down by those tables, you see this. Now, I took this at a Bedouin camp on a trip to the Holy Land a a few years ago. But actually, in Jesus' day, there'd be a little table here and they would have cushions all around it and they would lay down. So you're laying down by the table, but somebody else's old stinky foot jam is right over by your head, right? And so before there'd be a big dinner like that, man, they would want, the, the, the custom was to hire somebody to come in and wash everybody's feet. Now, if you just eat with your family, you wash your own stinking feet. But anyway, at a big dinner, they would hire somebody to do this. 
And the reason nobody had volunteered in John chapter 13 is because it's such an offensive job. And the guy with the least juice in the room typically had to do it. And you had to sacrifice your pride to serve in this way. Now, Jesus is trying to teach his followers something about the kind of life that brings this blessing that makes a difference in our world. Verse 1 tells us, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. How do your kids know you love them? You serve them. How's your wife know you love her? You serve her. How's your husband know you love him? You serve them. That's how you show the full extent of your love. Verse 3 tells us that when Jesus was confident, he had all the power of God, and yet he leveraged that power by serving other people. Now, here's the most powerful man in the world, but he shows his love by putting a towel over his arm and a towel around his waist and choosing to serve. I love the old story I heard years ago about an American missionary that was on the street in Delhi washing the foot of a leper. And she had that man's diseased foot in her hand, soothing it, cleansing it with soap and water and all of that. And two American businessmen walked by and looked down at that woman and looked at each other. And one of them said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she heard him. And she said, neither would I. I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either. But I'd do it for Jesus. Now, friends, contrast that with the Christians you know who are the most miserable. The most miserable Christ followers you know are people who don't serve anybody. They don't serve anybody. Listen, cynic likes in that book, there's another chemical called cortisol that is released in every human body when you're stingy and selfish and worried and anxious all the time. We know believers like that. And I want to suggest that the first step you can make toward a more fulfilling and joyful life is to humbly decide to serve other people. Now, I say humbly because nobody chooses to serve naturally. Naturally, we serve ourselves. We want to do it for us. It requires humility to serve other people. And friend, if you want the blessing that comes to those who serve and you want to start making an impact in our world, well, let's use the word impact as kind of an acrostic and I'll map out for you how you can get some traction through serving once you decide to do so. The I in impact stands for identify your gift. Man, Romans 12 tells us that every believer is equipped by God in some special way to do some special thing. Man, maybe you like to sing. That may be a gift for you. Maybe you like to work with your hands. That's a spiritual gift. Coaching in one-on-one situations, spiritual gift. Teaching groups, working on cars, leading something, solving problems. Man, this is a gift. You already know what your gift is because you've been using it in the marketplace your whole stinking life. It may have already made you a superstar in the marketplace, but man, the first step toward you know, being able, receiving this blessing from Jesus that he promises in John 13 is to identify the way that God has wired you up to serve and then put it into play. Because when you find your gift, man, I'm telling you, it will lead you to the place where you will make the biggest difference and you will find the biggest blessing when you do. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't know what your spiritual gift is, if I ask you what's your spiritual gift and you can't tell me like that, I want to encourage you to figure it out in 2017 because you're missing the most, the most optimized expression of who God created you to be. The M stands for make a commitment to use it. Now, here at Compassion Christian, we expect every member of our church to worship an hour, study an hour, and serve an hour every week. Every week. Worship an hour, study an hour, serve an hour. You do that, you will grow, you'll be strong, you'll be wise, you make a difference in the world. We don't expect anybody here to serve 20 hours a week. But I'll tell you, if every one of our big families served one hour a week, think of the blessings that we would receive and the needs that would be met in our community. But friends, that begins with you. I'm not talking to somebody else. I'm talking to you making a commitment to serve. The P stands for practice. Practice so you can optimize your gift. 
Now, you've probably heard about the experiment happening in a university somewhere where two groups of college students were told, uh, you got one hour. Uh, they were asked to make a piece of pro- uh, pottery. One group was, group was told, you got one hour. I want you to make the most beautiful vase you can possibly make. Get it done. Did my microphone just go out? You can still hear me okay? Okay, great. Apparently, the infection just moved to my ears, so that's good. All right, good. I'm good. All right, so, yeah, come give me a big kiss after church, y'all. But anyway, anyway, uh, one group of students was told, I want you to make one vase, make it the most beautiful, perfect vase you can make. The other group of students was told, we want you to make as many vases as you can make in one hour. We don't care what they look like. You make as many vases as you can in one hour. Which group do you think made the most beautiful vase? The group that made the most. Because every time they made one, they learned something. And every time the next one got better and better and better and better. And friends, that's the way it works with every gift. Listen, if you want to develop the skills that God has given you so it will bless you and make a difference in the world, practice, practice, practice. We'll make it better. The A stands for ask for feedback. Now, if you don't know where to start, you don't know what to do, man, just ask a trusted friend in your life group. Ask a leader here at church where they think would be a good starting point for you. Man, ask one of your partners once you start serving how they think you're doing. All of this information God will use to increase your blessing and increase your skill. The C stands for consider the opportunities. Man, we have dozens and dozens of ministry opportunities here at Compassion. Man, there is a place for every one of us. The T stands for team up. Team up with other people. One of the most important principles in serving is never do alone what you could do with a partner. Man, it makes it more fun. You get to teach them. They get to teach you. Make friends. Make a commitment. Make a difference. Now, friends, these steps are not easy. They are hard for the same reason that going to the gym two or three times a week is hard. Making a commitment is easy. Keeping it requires character. But Jesus sets us an example, and if we follow it, he has promised to bless us inside and out. But all of that will begin with a decision, a commitment to serve. Now, this story also teaches us something else we need to know, and that is that blessing only comes to us at the cost of sacrifice. God doesn't just dole it out because you came to church. He blesses people who sacrifice. Did you notice in this story that Jesus did not volunteer to serve as the master of ceremonies? That, that wasn't a job he took. He wasn't looking for a nice job. Jesus was only to get his hands dirty to meet a practical need. He took off his coat, bared his chest and his legs in public at a formal dinner, washed 24 stinking feet before, right before he'd get ready to eat. Undignified, unsanitary, no Purell, no hand sanitizer back in the day. Unfair, but an unbelievably powerful expression of servanthood. Now talk about communicating value to people. That one act did more to communicate how much he cared about them than a thousand emails could have. And friends, Judas was sitting at that table. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 11 says he knew who was going to betray him. Man, if I'd have washed Judas's feet that night, I'd have done it with boiling water. Put them in here, brother. You feel that heat? You better get used to it. All right? You know what I mean? I'm just telling you. But Jesus doesn't do that. He actually lives the way Paul wrote about in Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Pardon. Friends, one of the best decisions you will ever make is to choose to live like you consider other people more important than yourself. 
Wouldn't that one biblical principle calm down so much of the racial tension in America today if we would all live as if others were more important than ourselves? I think the first thing we need to do, you know, I'll just tell you about me. In light of all this racial tension, I need to realize that I have no idea what it's like to be a black man in America. I think my first best move is just admit I don't have a clue what it means to be a black man in America. Now, what I love about Pivot, and it's coming up this Friday night, Daryl Strawberry's going to be here, Ricky Temple's going to be here, Kenny Grant's going to be here, three out of the five speakers will be African-American men, and I invite them here so they will teach me something. You know, I heard Andy Stanley interview a couple of African-American staff members from his church uh, one time, and they were just talking about some of the hard things that happen in our country right now, and it's been going on for a long time. But he asked these guys, what did your parents teach you to do when you get pulled over by a police officer? He said, my parents said, get your wallet out before the cop gets there so you don't have to reach for anything. And put your hands up on the steering wheel where you can see everything. And then answer the questions. Don't make any smart comments. Answer with respect. You know what my parents taught me when I got pulled over by a police officer? We just pull off the side of the road so everybody be safe. I did not grow up with a fear that maybe police officers would fear me or mistreat me because of the color of my skin. And all I'm trying to say is, if you have not walked in another person's shoes, you don't know what it's like. Amen? Amen. Unless one of those folks become your friend, somebody you love and care about, and they will help you understand. But all of that, All that good that could come by treating others as if they're more important than us is predicated on this biblical value in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And let me tell you, as followers of Jesus, we're good at this. I'm telling you, man, if you got the Holy Spirit, he makes you good at this. Sarah told me that she was at Kroger uh, up here buying some groceries, and we're frequent flyers up there, I'm just telling you, man. Uh, she was buying some groceries. She bought a bunch of heavy stuff because we had a, something happen at the house. And she was tr- having trouble getting it all in the car. And she saw this black man pushing a couple of carts, you know, and she thought he worked at Tr- Kroger. So she said, sir, would you mind helping me get this stuff in my car? And he's like, oh, ma'am, I'll be glad to. And so he comes over, loads all of the stuff in the car, pushes the buggies into the little corral, and then walks away from the store to his car to leave. And Sarah realized, he doesn't work at Kroger. So she ran over, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I thought you weren't here in the store. He's like, ma'am, no problem. Glad to help. When she told me that story, I love that guy. And I've been looking for a chance to do the same thing. And I got it last week at Sam's. I saw this African-American woman and her mama coming out of Sam's, had this huge cart full of bulk drinks. And they were not too far away from me. I'm like, mm-hmm, I'm going to catch it up right here, bro. <laughs> I walked over there. I said, ma'am, can I help you unload all this up? And she said, would you do that? I said, yes, ma'am. I loaded and loaded and loaded and loaded. And I learned something very important. I'm going to do my good deeds at Kroger from now on because that's damn tough, bro. Tough. But I was so glad to pay that debt forward. Amen. How would our world be if every compassionate Christian was looking for a chance to do the same thing? No matter who it is, what color it is, just love them all. Let God sort them out. Amen. Why don't we do that? Yeah. Why don't we do that? I'll tell you, there's some reasons why some of us are not in this ball game. Uh, because there are sacrifices 
that you have to make to persevere, and you have to persevere through if you're going to serve in a way that brings that blessing inside and out. Let me talk about some of these sacrifices. Number one, you've got you to serve even when it's not comfortable for you. Now, if you haven't been serving, it might be real uncomfortable to get started, right? Uh, several years ago, my son had an ACL injury, and his knee was immobilized for like the whole summer. And when they took the cast off, his knee had stiffened up, so he had to go to rehab uh, where we were introduced to a physical terrorist. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> y'all, anybody here ever been to a physical therapist? Then people need to get saved, y'all. I'm telling you, right? I'm not, Lord have mercy. I, no, I'm sorry about that. I know we got physical therapists here. Adam, sorry, bro. Please keep coming to church, all right? But let me tell you, that man put him through some pain. But he endured through that pain, and he lettered in tennis the next year. If he hadn't gone through that pain, he would have lost. He would have gone through his whole life unblessed because he didn't man up and face some pain. Now listen, we all expect to have to just cowboy up and learn some new skills when we get a new job or a new sport or make a new circle of friends or move to a new city or try to master a new discipline. But in our spiritual lives, sometimes we just shut down or we just bail out. First time spiritual growth isn't easy. First time serving the Lord isn't simple. Listen, a servant values character over comfort. Say it with me, everybody. A servant values character over comfort. Man, the Bible says that God is trying to mold your character until you look and act and feel just like Jesus does. And we don't always like that process, but we always need that process. And I mean, you know how this works. If you're a good parent, you will often make your kids uncomfortable to teach them character. I mean, what do you do? Keep working after it's no longer fun. Clean up your room even if you don't want to go. We'd rather go outside and play. Apologize for being rude. Admit that you lied and ask for forgiveness. Some people never learn that. I had somebody tell me one time, you know, they're trying to justify some sin in their life. Well, I just think God wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. That is not his chief goal for you. That's a myth. He wants you to be holy. Amen? God wants to mold your character. And if you're holy, you will always be happier than you ever would be chasing some sinful desire. I mean, if your kid tells you on Monday morning, Dad, I don't want to go to school. I just want to sleep in. What are you going to say? Okay, baby, I just want you to be happy. No parent's going to do that. Nobody's got their head in the game. I want my kids to be responsible and wise. So what am I going to say? Get your lazy body out of that bed. Make your bed. Get to school on time. Make A's. Why? Because I want their future to be great. And if their future is going to be great, we've got to build that character. Listen, that's what God is doing for every one of us. Serving is not always fun. It's not always convenient. It doesn't always work in your little schedule. It just builds your character as a servant of Christ and unleashes these blessings on the inside that nothing else will. I want to encourage you to serve even when you're afraid. You know, anytime you try something new, you're going to face some fear. But that's no reason not to try. I was scared to death the first time I kissed a girl. But <laughs> well, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I fought through that fear. Now, friends, that fear may be the very thing that gets you praying the prayers that will cause God's power to start flowing in your life. I want to encourage you to serve even after you've been bitterly disappointed. Bitterly disappointed. Have you ever, have you ever heard the line, no good deed goes unpunished? Unfortunately, this is more often true than not, even in the church. Now, let's get real here. Jesus knew that Judas was planning to betray him when he washed his feet. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times when he washed his feet. Jesus knew that 11 out of 12 of those disciples were going to abandon him on the cross in his most difficult hour, and he served them anyway. Friends, consistent serving is a sign of spiritual maturity because it is not motivated by anything other than devotion to Jesus. Man, in the community, 
We serve people that we know are going to talk bad behind our backs about that big old church. In the church, we serve people who should be serving with us, but refuse to do so. In the parking lot, you might serve a thousand people by asking one person not to park their car right in the way, and then they yell at you. And they're on the worship team. I'm just kidding about that. that. Listen, people will disappoint you. Jesus served anyway. So should we. Amen? You know, someone has said great occasions to serve Christ come very seldom, but little ones come every day. And man, there are so many great opportunities to serve right here in our church. Now, last week, we asked everybody to download our new Compassion Christian app. And if you haven't done that yet, for one time, I will give you my blessing to pull your phone out and download the Compassion Christian app. Just go to the app store, Compassion Christian Church, press get, it will download. And I'm telling you, man, right on the home screen, there is an opportunity for you to press volunteer. And if you're not serving anywhere right now, just press that button. Say any ministry needs help. Call me, put me in the ball game, I'll hit somebody. And let me tell you, we'll call you this week, we'll get you signed up. If you're not serving anywhere right now, friend, there are amazing opportunities, and I hope you'll sign up today. Now, let me take one last cut on this story. In this story, Jesus teaches us that blessing flows through us when we serve like Jesus did. You remember what happened back in verse 12? Jesus said, now you understand what I've done for you, right? Then in verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if. Everybody say if. If. What does that mean? It's conditional. Conditional. Blessing of God doesn't flow because you come to church, folks. It comes if you do what Jesus has called you to do. Now listen, if the blessing of God on our lives is predicated by our willingness to serve, then good night. We need to serve more than people need us to serve. And friends, I believe what is true for the individual is also true for the church. If we want our church to be blessed, if we want our children's ministry, our middle school, high school students, worship services, teachers, leaders, our our health, strength, the favor of God on our church, if that's what we want, then we need to be a serving church. Now, we all know that there are people in this community right now who love hating on the big churches, right? Now, I never think about our church as a mega church. I don't think our church is a mega church. Our church is a small church. It just has a lot of people coming to it. Amen? I promise you, if you get connected on a ministry team and a small group, our church will feel smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to you every day. But I'll tell you one great thing about a big church. It can make a big difference. Amen? I mean, there's a lot of us, and brother, we are better together. Last year, we were better together. We gave over $2 million away to help the lost, the poor, the enslaved, the under-resourced, the unparented people on five continents in our world. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, man. Now, my mom was here today, and she was a piano player at our little church in Russellville, South Carolina, for 60 years. Way to go, Mom. Thanks for serving. Thanks for serving. But that little church has never given $2 million to missions and can't. But we're a big old church, and we can, and we did last year. Anybody want to say amen? amen? This week, this week, we will pack weekend food for 2,500 children in Savannah who live with scarcity, whose parents are not feeding them on the weekends. They eat at school. That's it for all kind of evil reasons. But we will pack 
weekend food for 2,500 poor kids who are suffering through no fault of their own at our East Campus. We'll do it this week. Friends, that poverty is in our city for all kinds of evil reasons. But a big church can make a big difference. Amen? Because, dude, we better together. Man, we have people from other churches coming out to help us pack food for these poor kids. And I'll tell you, when lots of churches start working together, we're really better together. Now, let me show you a graphic that will help you understand this amazing opportunity that God has given us here. Uh, I will put three circles up. The first one represents the, the needs and the dreams of our city, whatever city your campus is in. The second circle represents the mandate and the desire of God. He has a will. He wants it done. Number three is the calling and the capacity of the local church. This is how God's going to get his will done on earth. It's through his church. Now, let's look at, look at these intersections and how this works. Where the will of God and the desires of the city intersect, this is what John Calvin called common grace. You know, the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There are blessings in this city because our church is here. There are people who don't believe in God, mock God, hate God, who are blessed every day because our church is here. No question... It is an undeniable reality that women and minorities in the world are far better off in cultures that have been influenced by the teaching of Jesus than in any other country, any other kind of country. It is an anthropologically undeniable reality. The world is better off when the needs and desires of God intersect with the city and with the world. It's just true. Now, when the church and the city intersect apart from the will of God, there is sadly a toxic sense of control. That occurs. This is what the separation of church and state is about in America. We do not want the government intruding on the church. And it's happening right now and it's sad and it's going to be bad. But I'm telling you, anytime the government tries to intrude, you know, the city tries to intrude on the calling of the church, that's bad. Go, go to countries where religion wants to run the whole country. Like Iraq. A toxic sense of control. People get crushed. Bad. Uh, friends, uh, there's also a place where, you know, the church is intersecting with the mandates of God. And man, when the church actually does what God has called us to do, people get saved. That's why we see people being baptized into Christ here almost every weekend. It's awesome. Man, when the church is doing its job in any city, the, the, the outcome is supposed to be people get saved. But there's a sweet spot right here in the middle. You know what's in this sweet spot? Service. Service, Man, service in the name of Jesus is the only force I know of that honors the needs of the city and the calling of the church and the will of God for the world at the same time. A servant can go anywhere. I got a friend who's a chiropractor who went to a communist nation. University doors opened up for him because he went there to serve. Ended up having an awesome ministry opportunity, but he went there to serve. Listen, you can go into public schools, hospitals, government offices if you're just willing to serve. And in the months ahead, we plan what we call compassion initiatives. We're going to have these serve days. Now, we want to mobilize hundreds of compassion Christians who will give thousands of man hours for intentional acts of service. Friends, we don't even know all the ways that our church is impacting our community. But we do know this. When we serve, our church is blessed and our lives are blessed. As Jesus said, because we do these things. Even more importantly, our community is blessed. Now, let me ask you two big questions before I shut this thing down. Number one, last year, where did you serve our community in the name of Jesus? Now, I'm talking to you. Last year, where did you 
serve our community. And I'm not talking about some random act of kindness. I'm talking about an intentional act of compassion that Jesus got the glory for. Where did you serve? And where are you available to serve this year? Where will you be willing to serve in the last six months of this year so that Jesus gets the glory and you get blessed on the inside and out? Friends, join me in this sweet spot where the will of God and the calling of the church and the needs of the community all intersect. This is what I love about this T-shirt. I'm rocking this T-shirt today because right in the middle of our volunteer call is that one person, that one person who will be reached for Christ, that one person that will be able to love in the name of Jesus, that one person who's going to come to know the Lord this year because we chose to serve. Imagine the difference it would make the blessing we would receive, and the smile of God if we serve each other and our community better together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time you've given us to be together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for setting us this crazy, powerful example. And I pray, God, that we will follow the example of your son and serve him. In Jesus' name, amen.